Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and Attention Coach Jeff Copper. Our topic, ADHD, Rite of Passage from Adolescence to Adult. Uh, we're going to get to the content in a moment. Before we do, we'd like to thank children and adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder for bringing this program to you. In celebration of that event, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, just listen to our show. We'll be sharing a secret word a couple times. Write it down. Listen to another show um, and write down the secret word of that show and then just email me just the two words. That's all you need to do. Email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get it, we'll forward it to Chad. We'll get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine, and they'll send you a PDF copy of the next edition when it's in print. We have a little tip that we're going to share with you that Chad made, and we'll get into the show. When you have ADHD, putting in an eight-hour workday while maintaining maximum concentration can be a challenge. Here are some strategies to help. Make your physical environment less distracting. Use your laptop, smartphone, or alarm to track appointments and deadlines. Break up long tasks into shorter ones. Take breaks and walk around. Before you leave work, take five minutes to organize your work area for the next day. To learn more about workplace issues, visit chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. So, you know, sometimes we're all going 100 miles an hour and um, just dealing with stuff as they happen. But then every once in a while, somebody identifies like a little insider and aha that really makes a lot of sense. And uh, this show is really about the rite of passage, that that incredible day when you turn 18 years old and you go from an adolescent to adult. Um, I had interviewed uh, Dr. Timothy Willens on this years ago about this really interesting age. And uh, the point of this interview today is that we're releasing from old is to kind of give you some insight on what's taking place uh, when adolescents really become 18 years old. Uh, to illuminate your eyes, prepare you, and help you plan for it. So with that, we'll roll the tape. And with that, Dr. Willens, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Dr. Willens, I'm, I'm very excited about today's show. Part of this was, uh, was motivated uh, by listening to you speak in Orlando at the CHAD conference. Um, I think the, the title of your topic was Growing Up Teens with ADHD, here's what's happening. And what really struck me was the, the stuff that was taking place, um, really transitioning from adolescent to um, adult. And it seems that that stage of life, you know, the worlds kind of collide in the transition, but it's especially true for those with ADHD. So can you speak to some of the unique issues that, that present themselves uh, for those with ADHD at that time? Well, it's, it, it, it's a real issue in terms of 
this is the time where you're really launching kids from their youth into the beginning of their adulthood. And it's a, a time that's, quite frankly, relatively orphaned in terms of our understanding. We, it's also a time, by the way, I would just say parenthetically that often they're changing caregivers. They're going from their pediatrician or child psychiatrist or whomever to another practitioner. They're moving away from their house. A lot of action is occurring. A lot of things are occurring. We know some of the things that occur, for example, is that the brain continues to develop. The idea that at the age of 17 or 18, that's it, brain development is over, you're done maturing, it's just not correct. Mm-hmm. We know that the brain continues to develop all the way up until age 30. But we also know there are other things. There's a lot of transition issues that occur. There's If the kid is going on to college, for example, or vocational school, there's more demands for school. If they're going on into their own occupation, they're becoming independent. Um, if they're um, If they're driving, their driving responsibilities only increase. Um, It's a time where you have more socialization. They're Mm -hmm. leaving their nuclear families. They're becoming more connected with other kids, and that becomes sort of their their families by proxy. And then the last thing I'll say before I stop for a second is that this is the time that these kids start running into problems with things like substance abuse, cigarette smoking, and other types of issues that may invade in their ADHD. Um, in your presentation in Orlando, you talked about the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex and, and that type of stuff, and I want to get to that in a second. But in, at, the, at the beginning, you talked about you're really trans, I mean, you've grown up with a pediatrician. And now you're moving out of the pediatrician out into like a family doctor or, or other mental health professional. It seems to me that that's a little bit more challenging than expected because my perception, and I don't know if this is right, is there's much more pediatricians that are more comfortable with diagnosing and treating or prescribing meds if, if that's something you subscribe to. And when you move into family practices, they're not as comfortable with that. Is that, is that an accurate assessment? I think you're absolutely correct. I think it's 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 very difficult. I think it becomes awkward for um, individuals who are this age to reach out to other practitioners, and practitioners may not know all of the exact questions to ask, particularly if you're talking about adult practitioners, adult psychiatrists or adult internists who are going to be taking over the care. They, they may not know all the questions. And it's an awkward stage to be sort of revealing yourself. I saw a, a 20-year-old college student today who you know was was just wonderful in, in in talking to me, but it took a lot of prodding and questions that weren't spontaneous by the person. And if you know, I work with kids, I work with adolescents, adults. Had it not had I not prodded so much and asked a lot of these questions about her childhood and things that tracks of the disorder and and clues to me that there was a problem there, I'm not sure it would have been so easy for her to talk about it and somebody would have understood what she was saying and maybe not get the diagnosis. Well, I just had a little bit of an aha when you were describing that because I, I, I suddenly realized that if you're, if you're transitioning from, let's say, high school to college and you're 18, you know, maybe we're sitting in the office with a pediatrician and they understood it and your parents were there at the, at, at the visit, you know, articulating mm-hmm. this. So now all of a sudden you're moving out of that environment, you're dealing with something else, and maybe the person's not as confident even to have those conversations. So, A, it might be more difficult to find the right position to kind of help you with it, but in addition to that, you might not as be confident to have that conversation, so it's, it's even, even more complicated than I originally thought because it seems to me that can be a real challenge specifically for certain people. 
I think you're right on, and I think it's I think it's understated, quite frankly, that this is now an 18 or 19 or 20 year old who's having their first independent conversation with a physician alone. That's going to be the basis to your relationship moving forward, and it can be pretty official feeling and intimidating at some point. So, I think you were right on when you said it can sometimes be difficult for this age group to really walk in and, and establish a relationship and make it and have the practitioner be feel comfortable enough to make a diagnosis and move forward with treatment. I also want to highlight when I was in uh, in Orlando over the chat I mean I also said another presentation um I know Dr. Russ Ramsey, who we've had on the show, is there with a whole a host of people, and I know um, he, he's a part of this. There's an, an organization that's trying to get together a package and to help educate family practitioners in internal medicine across the country for resources because they realize that many of them out there, particularly in rural areas, are uncomfortable with diagnosing ADHD and prescribing stimulants in that type of situation. Again, I'm just throwing out there to highlight that sometimes when you're moving from that, the pediatrician environment um, to internal family guy, that a lot of them out there, particularly in areas where there's not as large a selection, is more difficult. So that's one particular. Another area I want to touch on real quick until we get into some of this other stuff is in your in your presentation, you alluded to legal issues actually change too, right? Well, they do. And, for, and, and when you're younger and there's some altercations or, uh, you know, issues that may have, occur, that may have come up, um, you're – First of all, it's going to be largely exonerated from that with good behavior, et cetera. But when you're 18, you're now responsible for your actions. You're responsible for your treatment, which is one component of it. And then if there's behaviors, bad behavior or aberrant behavior, you're going to own it, and it's going to be much more difficult moving forward if you uh, are pulled over for having substances or something in your car, if you're doing something that may cause uh, difficulty, if you mouth off or get into a fight, you're responsible now. And then like you said, Going back to the treatment issue, at the age of 18, all of the son, you're the one who is um, responsible for your treatment. All treatment decisions now are going to largely rely on your judgment. Now, I also want to make a comment that Mm -hmm. it is my solid belief that because your age 18 does not mean that your parents shouldn't be in the room. I am one of the believers that your parents and your family are still very important and critical in your life, mm-hmm. and I encourage parents to be involved. But legally, it really is the call of the individual at that point. Legally and sometimes geographically. I know I went to college you know, a day's drive away from my parents, so sometimes it's, it's, it's not feasible. So, But all, all this is just – it's interesting because all this is really changing virtually by changing from 17 to 18 in this transitional process of becoming an adult that you have those you, – you have, you have normal adolescents making that transition too, but this is another layer that's just a little bit more that you have to deal with with ADHD. Um, Dr. Williams, I want to kind of cut to a break real quick and come back, and I'd like to talk a little bit about – um, some of the things that you talked about, about the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex to kind of talk about some of the um, addiction, addiction and substance issues. But before we do that, and before we go to break, can you tell everybody about your book and how they might uh, get a copy of it? Sure. Well, my book is it's called Straight Talk About Psychiatric Medications for Kids, and it's really for parents who have kids, including ADHD and often the co-occurring problems with ADHD, all the different disorders. It's just sort of a parent's guide to using psychotropic meds. It's, it's based on sort of working with lots and lots of families. It's based on data in terms of the correctness of the medicines, the dosage, et cetera, but it's a guide to help you sort of navigate those strains. It's a very stressful time for parents when they think they have to medicate their their adolescents, their children, 
And this helps, my hope is that this then provides sort of a roadmap to understand when do you use meds, what are the correct meds, and what mm-hmm. are the main side effects and things to worry about. And, and uh, to get that, they can go to Amazon.com or Barnes & Nobles, I Absolutely. presume. It's, that's exactly right. It's, it's all over, but those are two great places to locate it. All right. Well, that will be right back after this message. Our secret word tonight is right. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We have Dr. Uh, Tim Willens, Timothy Willens in our virtual studio, and we're talking about the transition from uh, adolescent to adult. Uh, before the break, um, we kind of overviewed a little bit of the space. In two particular areas we talked about were the legal issues and the change of the medical landscape in this transition, which are, um, when you think about it, really pretty significant. Um, Dr. Willens, in a second, I want to kind of talk, I would like you to talk to everybody about uh, some of the the discussion that you had in Orlando about the limbic system, the prefrontal cortex. But before we do that, I just want, uh, if you're listening to the show and you're an adolescent, you have somebody in the space, I encourage you to look back on our archives because we have some shows that I think you might be interested. Uh, October 21st of 2011, um, we had Shire and Edge on talking about ADHD scholarships that are, are, um, are being provided uh, for the 2012-2013 year, complete with a full year of uh, free coaching. Uh, back August 3rd of 2011, um, I had an interview talking about the transition from high school to college. Um, in July the 6th of 2011, we talked about uh, college placement for those with ADHD. And uh, on December 2nd, 2010, uh, we had a show talking about ADHD coaching teens and managing um, um, uh, teens in that situation. So I encourage you, if this is of interest, go back and check out our archives. So, Dr. Wellens, um, as I mentioned, talk to us about the, the, the development of the brain, the limbic system, and the prefrontal cortex, because I think this will be helpful as we start to move into addiction and other things that can influence um, those with ADHD in this age range a little bit more significantly. Sure. First of all, the, again, I want to reiterate that um, a lot of the work that I'm talking about comes from a number of different neuroimaging studies, including a lot of work from the <clears throat> National Institute of Health, which really have helped us understand that the brain continues to develop through adolescence and really up until, in some cases, the age of 30. So this transitional age group, which is where really we're talking about, you know, 16 to 25, 26 in that area, mm-hmm. is still in the, in, in, in the major component of development. And when we're talking about development, the, the brain typically develops from the back to the front, and the front is the frontal lobes. And to remind people, the front part of the brain is very, imp- is, is very important in ADHD. It's, it's very involved in what we call executive functions, some of the some of the uh, the secretary of the brain. It governs emotions. It's involved in judgment and people's planning, organization, your problem solving, your inhibition, and also some other issues, synthesis, etc. And what we think 
is that that's later development, a little bit later development. It takes a lot longer. And that's why I think people know intuitively as your kids grow up that they start to develop some maturation. They start to get better at planning and all of these executive operations when they go to college, but they still continue to mature and have better judgment. And these are areas that we know develop later in life. Contrast that with earlier in life, another area of the brain we call the limbic system, which develops earlier. So this is related to your emotional circuitry, emotion, your arousal, getting agitated and angry, reward. I want this, and you can imagine reward in terms of substances and cigarettes, your appetite, risky behavior, and no surprise, sex and things like that. And this is um, uh, influenced by a lot of, of by hormonal influences. And what I want to comment on is that the development of this system, sort of this, I need it, I want it, sex, reward, food, motion, actually comes in a bit earlier than the oversight to that, which is the front part of the brain, which dampens it down, sort of the shock absorbers, you know. Uh-huh. So this, what I call the symmetry between the, the development of that can lead to a lot of issues, can relate, lead to dysregulated mood, frustration, irritability, temper. Um, and we question, is that exaggerated in ADHD, the difference between the slow front part that dampens and the emotional part that comes on earlier in life? And that's all occurring during this period of time. So sometimes the hot-headed adolescent, the, what, what are you thinking? Your parents are going, what were you thinking? Why did you – you're not thinking. You're responding to your emotions. All of these issues probably are correct, and it's and it could be the brain's fault. So, by the way, I've got one of those teenagers myself, and what I'm hearing you say is that the prefrontal cortex, the planning, the stuff that dampens, is developing slower. The limbic system, which is the more the impulsive, emotional side, is developing quicker. So there's this gap that that is there many times with adolescents, but it's the the distance between that gap is much greater with those with ADHD. It is, and it's partly because the front part of the brain, we think, is developing, but it's, you know, all our data is showing that it gets there, but it takes longer to get there. And so the the reason I asked you to kind of frame this out is, I mean, we can kind of look at a teenager and see some of that stuff, but at this point in time of life, you have uh, have your your social circles and all that type of stuff, but when it starts to come to impulsive decisions, particularly like addiction and maybe driving and sex and stuff like that, talk about the impact on that with those with ADHD, and if you could speak to, like, probabilities of – early usage or early problems and or likelihood um, of some of these things would be helpful. Well, this is an area that I'm very personally concerned about, and what an area of research that myself and our lab and others have looked at, and I can tell you that the number is pretty easy to remember in terms of what your likelihood is if you have ADHD. It is unfortunate. It is not fair, but you are twice as likely, essentially, across the lifespan to have problems with cigarette use, substance abuse, and to get into a motor vehicle accident. And it continues. It's that two times as likely. And that's, that's a big risk. So, you know, when, it, when we talk to kids who are at that age, for example, I was talking to this patient today, I was very concerned about cigarette smoking. Now, it just smokes a few once in a while. But if, even when you don't have ADHD, you worry about just a few cigarettes. But for somebody who has a lot of ADHD or has ADHD, it makes it much easier. It becomes like super glue. It sticks when you start mm-hmm. smoking. And the same with people who start, this is a the time they're leaving home, they're living alone and working, or they're going to college, or they're going to vote, vote schools. 
and all of a sudden they have the freedom, the availability of drugs, etc. And what I say is, you know, at least if you start using drugs, it can really rapidly escalate. And it's the nature of the ADHD, and it's probably related to what we're talking about. We're trying to figure out what it is. Some of it's self-medication, can't dampen, um, it's mood symptoms. And a lot of this comes back to your frontal part of your brain, which is just not able to dampen it as much as your emotional and your the limbic side, which says, give me more drugs. I like the reward. I like the feeling. That's too strong to dampen in a lot of these kids. So the, the antidote to that is you really have to stay away from drugs and alcohol. And if they're using any drugs and alcohol, they have to be on top of it. They have to know there's a huge risk. And every time you drink, you've got to ask yourself the question, do I really need the next drink? Is this, mm-hmm. What am I doing this for? Am I on top of this? It, it's, you're twice as likely to abuse. Is there a probability, too, that you're more likely to try it earlier? Yes, it's a double whammy, So the, the, especially in the untreated state. So if you've not been treated for ADHD, you're more likely to start cigarette smoking or drinking or using drugs earlier, and you're about twice as likely to have a problem across the lifespan to the point where we've learned that if you're not treated and you have ADHD into adulthood, so if you just you let somebody go and they, about half of them, about half of adults, with ADHD have a history of using either drugs or alcohol to excess? Half. Half. It's a half. big that's, number. That's a huge it's, number. That's half. It's a huge number. It's a huge number. In fact, when I work with a lot of adults, I ask that question, and it really gets really the, 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 the number, and you'll start hearing these stories, you know, and it's usually around the age group. What, how old were you? 19, 20, 21. How much were you drinking? I was drinking... Eight to twelve drinks a day for a period of time, where I was smoking two or you know a, a blunt a day, and was missing school, or I dropped out of college because of it. The stories are, are remarkable and they're consistent. Wow, that's a huge number, half of adults. So I tell you what, I need to run to another break. Again, the title of your book is Straight Talk About Psychiatric Meds for Kids. Straight Talk About Psychiatric Psychiatric Meds for Kids. Again, Amazon.com is your local bookstore or whatever. Um, Dr. Williams, when we come back, you, you said untreated a second ago. I want to come yep. back and talk about what is treated and what impact that has. Uh, again, that's after the break, but with that, we'll be right back after these messages. Our secret word is right. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay. Do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. 
Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we have Dr. Timothy Willens in in, uh, in our virtual studios. Um, top of the show, we talked about uh, legal issues and the changing uh, um, uh, healthcare front for those in this transitional period. Um, in the last break, we were talking about uh, the development of the brain, um, addictions, and stuff, and the, uh, the the increased probability of those with ADHD to um, uh, experiment with substances, and I would presume sex would be included in that earlier, and a higher likelihood. Um, before the break, uh, Dr. Williams, you talked about on an untreated basis. When you say when you when you say untreated, what would treatment be, and what how did those numbers change if if you are receiving treatment? It's an important question, and treatment now has been really expanded. So you have non-pharmacologic treatments that really help these very focused, proactive, cognitive behavioral type therapies that we know work in adults. There have been a couple big studies recently. And then we have medications, which usually include the stimulant class agents and Mm -hmm. now a host of non-stimulants. What we know is, what, what we're concerned about, first of all, is that Often we're doing a good job treating our kids, but when they start leaving the house, they go to college, they go on their own, often the treatment drops down, the adherence drops tr- precipitously. And the problem is this is the time they're starting, they're working independently on their schooling or in their jobs, they're trying to negotiate their own social situations, they're driving, um, and this is a time that they really need their medications and often they come off of their medications. And the other issue is substance abuse, and we have uh, good data that shows that there's a, a very positive, effective treatment uh, by on reducing ADHD and improving, reducing the rates of cigarette smoking and improving and reducing the onset of substance use disorder. So it really reduces and delays the onset of both of those outcomes through adolescence. That's the good news. The bad news is you start to lose that effect into adulthood, and we think that's because most of the people stop their treatment. Mm. One of the things that I remember you saying, the barriers to inheritance is a belief system. The patient may feel it's better to overcome the problems without resorting to medication. In other words, the idea is just like, hey, if I'm going to do this, I just need to lick the problem myself. I don't need help. That's exactly right. And a lot of them also get tired of thinking that I take this medicine because I have ADHD. So if I don't need, if I don't take the medicine, I don't have the disorder. If I can battle this, I really don't have ADHD. And a lot of kids struggle. And it's a real problem that they're struggling at the time they're leaving and they're starting their jobs or they're working at school. And it can be a really problematic failure for them because the ADHD comes back, they, they underachieve, they, and they've started on a bad foot. So it's, my recommendation is to continue treatment through the first year, let's say, of college. And if the, child, if the kid still doesn't think they need the medicine, by the way, half the time they'll stop on their own. But if they is to try a brief period off at a time that they can afford to come off when they don't have major exams and if they're o- only if they're ahead of the material at the time. So what I'm hearing you saying is that many times in this transitional period, they're moving adulthood, they're into college. These are the times that the adherence to like medications, they were off, but at the same time, they're given more freedom and more decision-making authority than they've ever had before, which translate not only just in sex and drugs, but also in driving and other types of behaviors. And it's like this for all adolescents, but it's compounded, I guess, really for those with ADHD. It is. It is. And on top of that, at that time, the parents are used to parents who have really had to focus on their kids and really had to been very involved in the child's life, you know, really providing that executive functioning for the kid. That goes away, too. They're leaving the house, so they lose often mom, but it's not just mom. It could be dad or whoever, a coach, who's really been connected to the kid and helping them, and they lose that. They're living independently, 
and all and you can just imagine the potential catastrophe when it comes to the management of the symptoms so in a big picture, we talked about the healthcare landscape and stuff, and that's a little bit kind of getting ahead of the curve and expecting that transition, maybe looking for the right doctor well before uh, they make that, that transition and doing some research. And we talked about the legal issues. The best way to prevent that is not to get into it. But the issues that we're talking about right now, uh, the traditional thing is to, to educate your kids on drugs, just kind of say no. Would you say that or, or, or and I'm just I'm a little bit thinking out loud right now because if, if education is there, would it, do you believe that it's helpful to educate your your kids if they have ADHD not just about drugs and alcohol but actually some of the statistical data that we've talked about here or that you've talked about that you're more likely to start earlier and it's more likely that you'll you'll have an issue with it and that that one that one. Um, statistic you discussed earlier, like half the adults have had an abuse problem in adulthood. Do you, do you believe that that would be an effective way to kind of help combat this? I do. Absolutely. I think education is critical here, and I think commenting on that and letting people know, and again, twice, twice the risk. Look, it, we don't want you to become, your friends are going to use drugs, your friends are going to drink. I don't want to be a prude, but the reason I don't want you to is because you're more likely to be an addict. You're more likely to get addicted. And Really talking to kids about that, they hear it. Now, they're going to still use, they're going to try, but they at least get that message and they know. Um, and I think, and, and, and in addition to that, you know, and that's in context to understanding your ADHD and who you are as a person and other healthy habits like you talked about, um, you know, sort of their uh, sexual uh, identity and what they're doing sexually as well as exercise and appetite and sleeping appropriately, all of these types of things it's in context too. But I think one of the most feared outcomes for our precious children as they grow up uh, are, is drugs and alcohol at that age and driving because of the inference of what happens mm -hmm. with motor vehicle accidents. Um, with all that being said, again, I'm thinking about if you're an adolescent out there listening to this, you're motivated to do this, so that, that's totally awesome. But most likely we're, our listeners are parents. And I think we've outlined this well in the education stuff there, but I, I'm throwing out a concept. I'm, a, I'm very active in scouts, and I've, I'm, I'm a high-adventure scout master here in Tampa. I deal with the older boys. We go hiking on the AT and do some stuff. And I have to tell you, it's very interesting. A parent can tell their kid something, and it's like garbage. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm not their parent, but many times I can have much more of an impact in dealing with their kids by just explaining it because I'm not their parents. And there's coaches out there, and I'm not saying that you have to go to the coach, but there's, there's sometimes to seek people outside your family that can kind of help with a teenager, to me sometimes might be beneficial. Because i got my own teenager, and sometimes I'll literally walk up to a, a, you know, another adult and say, can you tell my kid this? Because right. it won't mean anything if I say it, but if you say it, it might make some sense. Can you speak to that? Does that make any sense, or do you have any It does, other... and I think, first of all, I think, Let's let's not short sell. Parents are critical, and your kids actually hear what you're saying, particularly in adolescence. Even though you're getting sparks and comments and, and all of these things back at you, but they actually do hear you, and and that actually has a, a, a very positive impact on later behaviors, particularly drugs, alcohol, cigarettes. So parents have to help. Doctors can really help, or practitioners can really help. Um, just a comment, doctors involvement and discussions like this actually are very positive. But you don't do it once. You do it every single time you see the kid. And as you said, you start early and you talk about them. I have my launch to college or launch of independence conversation with all kids with ADHD where I see them alone and we talk about this. And I look eye to eye and I talk. And, and it's exactly what you said. I don't scare them with reefer madness and stuff. But I just make it, I personalize it and what my fear is 
for them and how not to have that happen. And I think all, and we, we need other things. All the other professionals that work with kids with ADHD can help all, also with this. Um, what struck me is the, the launch to college and you actually meet with them alone. I do. I think, you know, I think we talk about a lot of things. For example, talking to kids about understanding what ADHD is, to seek accommodations if they're going to college or working, uh, develop positive self-care habits, good sleep, eating reasonably, some exercise, stress management, um, creating structure. Uh, don't take, if you're on meds, don't take them PRN, take them every day. Um, take a reduced load when you first start school. Um, make use of available study skills and time management classes, coaches. Um, and the other thing is I always tell them, hey, look, sign a release so the parents can work with the school personnel. There's no problem with that. It's good that your parents are involved. But I have that sort of outline, and I, and I do that with all kids leaving, moving on, because I'm worried about it. Now, I'll continue to follow them because mm-hmm. of the nature of my practice, but I wor- these are issues that need to be dealt with as kids are leaving. There needs to be this lattice around them as they move on to the next stage of their life. As we talked about, this was interesting. There was another presentation I sat in when I was over in Orlando at the Chad meeting, and um, actually might be doing a show. This there was uh, two gentlemen that were um, former police officers in the UK talking about uh, um, ADHD and the court system and usual stuff. And anyway, where I'm going with this is they were talking about some different things that you should do in that particular situation. But they said if you do get that phone call and your kid's in jail and you're a parent and you have ADHD, one of the notions is are you the right person to go down to the police station and deal with that situation? In other words, if, is your own impulsivity, if, if you're out of control, would, are you really the right person to kind of make that, that decision, make that happen? And the reason I'm bringing that up is in the same time, sometimes in, this, in the genre of dealing with your adolescent that's moving towards teens, you know, sometimes you can say that message, but as, as you're sitting down with the launch of the college and having that conversation alone, sometimes those types of things can be best handled by other trusted either professionals or people that are relatively close to you. And it's very easy to say, hey, listen, this is what I'm trying to message here as a means to try to help, situa- help deal with the situation because, after all, particularly sometimes with ADHD parents who might be emotional situations, dealing with an ADHD kid, diffusing that situation and using some resources around you might be a, an effective strategy. Well, I, I can't say it better than that. I can, all, all I can say to add to what you're saying is that this is a process. So uh, it isn't just a one conversation. I think these are repeated conversations yep. that a, a, occur as a child, you know, is 16, 17, 18, so that when the handoff is finally made, they're ready for it. So it's not just, oh, by the way, we need to have this conversation. We need to have a number of conversations to get you up, to set you up. And I think most parents do that during that sort of separation phase. And then I would just comment on these, the, the upcoming show that you're going to have. I'm, I know that the individuals uh, from the, uh, the United Kingdom, uh-huh. they're terrific. They're unbelievable. I, I'm plugging for your show because I know them I was when I was overseas talk to them. They're extraordinarily progressive about the issues of ADHD. I would say world progressive. I have not met other people in law enforcement that have such a clairvoyant view about this and where things need to go. So uh, that, well, that's going to be a terrific show. Yeah, we're hoping to do that and add it to the package of shows of the ones I, I had mentioned to earlier. Um, Dr. Williams, before we kind of wrap things up, do you have any last insights or anything that you'd like to share with our audience that you think would be uh, useful for them? The, the only thing I would say is that I see this as a critical time because this is the beginning of their adult life. And I think people have worked so extraordinarily hard. Parents have really worked in, as well as all the other professionals to get kids through all of the early years who have ADHD. 
And that next step, we need to put more energy back into the next step, launching them to the beginning of their adulthood. Because when we look at the impairments, when we look at the problems that adults have, this is where a lot of them are beginning. And I think we can't take our eye off the ball, our foot off the accelerator. We need to be there with them, and we need to come up with better strategies and realize that even though they're young adults, they really are just growing up children still and can use our support. And I think you do that, and you're going to have a much happier young adult uh, that hopefully, if, as it, if it's your child, remains very successful as they as they grow up. Well, Dr. Williams, I'd like to thank you very much. This is I, it's, I, I, I was expecting this to be a great show. It's better than what I ever dreamed. Um, thank you very much for coming on. Listeners out there, I hope that you found this very informative. Again, look back in our archives because we have shovel shows that are related to this particular age group that I think you'll find useful, and uh, we hope to have more. So, again, uh, Dr. Williams, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It's great. Uh, everybody, uh, stay tuned uh, to Attention Talk Radio. Next week we're going to have a great show for you. Take care.